0: Uber manages the car rides for millions of people. The Uber system must remain operational 24-7, and the app involves financial transactions and the safety of passengers. Uber infrastructure runs across thousands of server instances and produces terabytes of monitoring data. The monitoring data is used to understand the health of the software systems, as well as relevant business metrics as driver efficiency and daily revenues and user satisfaction, Uber adopted the Prometheus monitoring system to manage their monitoring data. Prometheus regularly scrapes metrics across infrastructure to gather time series data about the state of everything across Uber. As the usage of Prometheus has grown within the company, Uber has had to figure out how to scale their monitoring platform. M3 is a monitoring system built at Uber to scale Prometheus and to provide a platform that can effectively scale the data storage as well as the query serving. Rob Skillington is a staff software engineer at Uber, and he joins the show to talk about monitoring within Uber from the requirements of the system to the implementation of M3. This was a deeply technical show and also went to the higher levels of the importance of monitoring. It was really fun to have Rob on the show, and we barely scratched the surface of what I would have liked to get to. At Uber, M3 powers the dashboards, the ad hoc queries, the alerting. M3 was open-sourced to give other users access to a scalable Prometheus solution. In a previous episode with Brian Borham, we talked about one strategy for scaling Prometheus, and today's episode covers another scalability solution with M3. We have a show coming up soon that covers monitoring at LinkedIn, and it's very interesting to see how important monitoring is within an organization. You think of monitoring as perhaps something that only infrastructure people care about or only people that are issuing alerts and doing things that are close to the software engineering, but monitoring really is the lifeblood of how we understand the metrics within a company it's like the health of a company not always super closely tied to what you see on a company's balance sheet but sometimes it is closely tied to what you see on a company's balance sheet so there is a a deep connection between monitoring and the business health of a company i hope you enjoy this episode Rob Skillington, you are a staff software engineer with Uber. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here. You've been at Uber for four and a half years. The first show that we did about Uber was about three years ago, and we had Matt Ranny on the show. He talked about how fast the number of services at Uber had grown. And so Uber was growing rapidly on all dimensions. There was the number of rides that was growing, the number of engineers that were working on the system. And so the overall throughput of Uber was constantly being tested at that time. And you were at Uber at that time. What was it like being at Uber back in 2014 when you joined? Yeah, back In 2014, it was moving very
1: dynamically. I remember joining the marketplace team, which which handles the real-time matching of riders and drivers. And we were growing from like 10 team members to 30 or 40 within the space of one to three months. It was a very interesting time. I think there was a lot of evolutions that needed to take place. And Many different teams had to radically change how they approached problems, what their opinions on software and how software should be written and released had to change to keep up even with the business itself.
0: Mm. So that time back in 2014, you were working on this team that was focused on dispatching services and the life cycle of a trip. This is core service infrastructure you did get to take advantage of some of the platform infrastructure that was getting built at Uber around that time. So I imagine there were some monitoring solutions and deployment solutions that were widely used throughout the company. Uh, To what extent was the the quote-unquote platform engineering at Uber, was it standardized across the organization?
1: Yeah, there was several pieces that were more self-service than others. And Some that were true platforms as opposed to basically pretty simple pieces of infrastructure that required a puppet change. So the deployment system has probably been the only system at Uber that was self-service back then and remains in a relatively similar form today To in terms of the user experience of, of how it worked back then. Metrics was also... Similar in nature, however, the onboarding and the self-service of it was not really nearly as proficient and and scalable as it is today. However, it was at least something that came for free. And then there was other parts of infrastructure, like adding capacity, using you know HAProxy to forward requests between different services and that service discovery layer, which was heavily based on Puppet and another database we used called Clusto, which actually was primarily supposed to be used for networking and provisioning servers and keeping an asset catalog, but became kind of a a database that was used for HAProxy when it was configured to work out which backends to to route to and and basically became a very critical piece of infrastructure that was used in very freeform manners, which actually made it relatively difficult because only SREs could really understand how to add capacity to your service, how to help you route to different services and onboard you onto things like Redis and MySQL and and things like that. So really back in the day, all we had that was self-service was metrics and deployment tools, and everything else was kind of handled by SREs.
0: So there was an extent even back in 2014 to the automation of a monitoring platform. So if you were building an in-house service like Calculating prices or having the life cycle of a trip or doing dispatching for a ride to a certain user. If you're building these user-level services, there is some internal tooling that you can just plug into. It works really well for the, Uber, for the Uber platform. But over time, as Uber was growing and diversifying into different services and the other aspects of engineering were changing, that monitoring infrastructure started to, to fall over, is, is the sense that I get. What were the strains on Uber's engineering architecture that led to the monitoring not being able to keep up with the demands?
1: Yeah, so it's actually a pretty interesting story. We Because the monitoring platform was relatively self-service, a lot of people kind of onboarded on, onto it and weren't really, I guess, cognizant of you know, uh, how it operated or what kind of strain it put on different parts of the system. And we were using StatsD back then with a whole bunch of different StatsD clients. And some of these StatsD clients, especially the community release ones, didn't really do a good job of buffering the data they put into the UDP packets that they sent to the StatsD daemon. And, you know, we were actually migrating from one data center host to another at the time, and we found that actually the strain that we put on the routing infrastructure, just of like the switches themselves, caused a, a lot of false starts with that new data center migration. And so we had to be very, very careful about this migration. And it, and it you know, ended up being a very critical thing that kind of began, made, made it very difficult essentially to move into this new data center. Because of the high packet rate of, of UDP packets sent by the StatsD clients, and and so basically there was a bunch of efforts back then to at least you know modify the StatsD clients and get us out of a short term kind of problem there just by basically buffering the data on the client side, and then kind of like once you know we got past that hurdle, there was the obvious strain of just the metrics platform not being able to add capacity to it and not be and, and to be able to keep people's metrics as we needed to add capacity to the system whereas previously you know there were such challenges like it was very difficult to to keep data when we basically needed to add machines to the, the metrics platform itself
0: hmm. okay so when the metrics platform needed to scale up from what i'm hearing it was hard to retain data in that span of time when you were doing a scale up is that is that right is that what i'm hearing
1: yeah it was it was relatively it took a really long time it caused a lot of pain cuz alerts would go off and people would get paged and it just wasn't really scalable it, just in terms of both the like software solution itself and the process around providing this to people in a way that was not going to disturb them and and could be trusted to wake them up at the right time.
0: So you were on this dispatching team in 2014 through your first, I don't know, year or two at Uber, and eventually you you transferred to the metrics infrastructure team. And so there was something about metrics infrastructure or platform engineering that was interesting to you that made you want to switch from Kind of a product-facing service to more of an infrastructure problem. What was it about infrastructure and platform engineering that made you want to move over to that side of the house?
1: Yeah, it was multifaceted. I, th- I think that there were several times during my time developing services and backend applications in marketplace when I noticed that. Whether something worked well or didn't work well on the infrastructure level made a huge difference to how well my service ran and how easy it was for me to deliver on the promises I was making to to build infrastructure from uh, to sorry to build services from a marketplace in and, and the reliability it came with. for instance, I remember several experiences where just being able to see in in very high resolution data at like 10 second intervals, um, how the file descriptors of my service were fluctuating, how, you know, different application level statistics around... How many users were going down this code path versus another code path? And what was the breakdown of the users going down some of those code paths? Were they using this client version on the mobile app or another? Really made a difference. And I I think that, you know, that's probably a, a pretty recent change to software development. We didn't used to have this level of introspection and insight. And I could tell that this part of infrastructure was going to change radically and fundamentally over the upcoming few years. And I knew at Uber, it was going to be absolutely essential to stay ahead of that curve and be able to offer really scalable tooling for engineers to be able to scale their systems and stay ahead of the curve. So so that's really what led me to to the platform and infrastructure team.
0: This is one of the cool things about working at a gigantic company is you will just wake up one day and there's an email in your inbox that's like, your job just got a lot easier because somebody on the platform engineering team built a new tool and all you have to do is upgrade your package and you now have access to that tool. And I can imagine being on the other side of that and building the tool that helps thousands of colleagues that are working in engineering... And then all the downstream positive impacts of that on the customers, I can imagine it being a, a desirable place to be in an organization.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, there was a definitely an air of, well, let's just reimagine how infrastructure and the the parts of infrastructure that that we want to develop and how we're going to deliver that to the engineers, like could be different, could be very different this time to how it was at previous companies, how you know, bringing a lot of like the shiny, say, features from a lot of the, the community-driven software to really large-scale companies was was a very exciting prospect. You know, I, I'd worked at Microsoft before Uber and various other companies. And really, you know, there's a, a lot of things that I would have loved to have used at my time at Microsoft, but I really couldn't because the level and the scale at which these tools and platforms need to operate at traditionally doesn't mean you can take a community built piece of software or a piece of infrastructure and just use it at, at a scale 100x larger than what was intended. So at Uber, I think, you know, as an infrastructure engineer, it was really exciting. We knew that we could merge kind of like the ideas of the old and the new and and re- really rethink how infrastructure could be delivered at, at at a company like like Uber.
0: Just a little more on the platform engineering before we'll we'll get into Prometheus and monitoring and some more stuff that is a little bit lower level. But on the platform engineering side of things, there might be people listening who are wondering, okay, I can use AWS today. AWS has a bajillion services; they're really well integrated with each other. There's also tons of open source software the kubernetes community is moving really fast and there's there's also the apache projects like kafka and whatnot there's tons of tooling that's out there why does a company like uber or netflix or airbnb need a platform engineering team to build stuff customized to their in-house needs why isn't this stuff just all taken care of by aws or the open source world or whatever other off-the-shelf software or vendors you know there's tons of vendors out there why can't i get what i need from you know name your monitoring company
1: yeah yeah it's a great question i think that it's you know to some extent we are actually seeing that it is a bit of both you know you most companies like uber and other companies at large scale are actually trying to use things that are off the shelf as much as possible. However, we do prefer to use open source software that we can, you know, deeply understand and then, if necessary, make make changes to, as opposed to proprietary off the shelf software, which, if it kind of, out, if we outgrow it. Then it is really, really difficult to change and modify, and and keep up to date with the needs that we would have. So I think it's you know it's a it is becoming more complex. Like we had a a Google engineer, early Google engineer, come and talk to us, uh, you know, a few years ago about how at Google, like that was a lot of their challenges as they were solving these infrastructure problems. Uh, No one had ever done it before. They needed to build it, and they built it all in house. And he said, you know, and today I would hope at companies like uber and such you know you don't have to do as much of that yeah and what he's saying is true in some ways like we don't have to solve as much as that and that the qualifier as much though is the important part there are still significant not necessarily deficiencies but like just shortcomings in some of the the scale at which some of these open source projects can deliver for companies however i do think that it is a hundred percent getting better stuff like kubernetes can scale to thousands of instances now you know back when kubernetes got started it could only scale to 500 instances which is but but now it can do thousands so i think you know it's it's an evolving landscape and and companies will sometimes still need to choose challenges that they need to solve themselves or at least combine with an open source project and and build on top of however it is getting better by the day
0: Right. I mean, you certainly see continued, quote-unquote, infrastructure challenges, but the ones that Google was solving were things where you had to build custom hardware, you've got to go down into the lower-level guts of operating system code, you have to rewrite the operating system, whereas today we're, like, you know, Stripe has to build infrastructure for wiring payment systems together. And, yeah, that's hard, but it's at a certain level it's not as... um, As soul-crushingly hard as as you know programming hardware, and and also it's it's kind of at a higher level of the stack. So in some sense, there's you know maybe you can create more value. But anyway, the the challenges are different. I think that's that's for a different show. Let's get into talking about monitoring. So Prometheus is a monitoring tool. We've done some shows about. Explain what. Prometheus is, and how Prometheus interacts with infrastructure that it's monitoring,
1: yeah, so Prometheus is a fantastic project it It really is the MySQL of monitoring when I think about it it's and it kind of that kind of analogy is is good as well because you know MySQL is a great database and powers so many things in the world. But when you think about how it scales, it it still has a single write master. And sure, you can do your own layering on top and kind of try to uh, avoid that issue with it. But at its heart, it's really like a single database node that takes the mutable data and allows you to mutate that. And Prometheus is similar in that it's, it's it's a fundamental building block that has allows you to basically store, you know, a whole bunch of monitoring data in a single server. And the way in which it does that is, is a great, like, building block. And for a lot of, you know, companies and organizations and developers of anything, you know, that, that solves a lot of the, get, the getting started and, you know, in a lot of cases the continued support for, for basically being able to monitor and... Kind of understand you know how their software is operating and and similar to you know the the metrics platform you know, at uber it does it has multi dimensional metrics now which just fundamentally make it so much easier to be able to slice and dice categories of users or categories of your hardware and how they operate so I, I think it's you know it's a very important piece of software infrastructure for. For everyone out there in the industry, and it's it's really making a difference. I think being able to get started with such like a performant, powerful software means that you don't have to basically spend a whole lot of time yourself, you know, setting up your own monitoring, connecting all these pipelines. That's the other thing that about that's great about Prometheus. It's a single server that handles the ingestion, the alerting, and also. You know, the, the, even a dashboard for just like splunking around and some of your data.
0: I love the comparison to MySQL because MySQL is a is a time tested, well proven database. But as we're going to get into scaling MySQL, it has its own challenges. You probably don't want to be responsible for for scaling a MySQL database unless you're an expert in scaling MySQL databases. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, and and that's that's kind of where. Where we get to with with uh, the conversation of Prometheus at Uber. So just to give people an overview for at least how I understand Prometheus, you have Prometheus on this single server. It's periodically scraping other services and things in your infrastructure to collect metrics. It's gathering in those metrics. it's there's an ingestion process for prepping those metrics to be ready to store. And then you store the data on a single server, on this on the same server, and then you can query that data from the same server, and all this all this stuff is is taken care of by Prometheus. But where this you know this starts to fall over is you know you have questions like okay so I've got a Prometheus instance should it scrape all the services at my company like what happens if I have so many services that You know, this single Prometheus instance can't handle it. But then, does that mean I'm storing my data all over the place? And then there's a question of, like, how do I shard the database that I'm storing all my Prometheus metrics in? I guess talk a little bit more about what Prometheus is at, you know, maybe a small scale and what it starts to look like at a bigger scale.
1: Yeah, most definitely. So, yeah, Prometheus on the small scale, I think, is really where it's the sweet spot is. You have, basically the ability to scrape all of your services and not really have to worry too much about complex configuration you just you can use grafana out of the box with a single data source and you know if you want high availability you add a second prometheus server and you basically scrape from both of them in an active active way and then in grafana you kind of just choose which one you you want to actually view the data from and so, you know, that that kind of like works quite well for people, uh while yeah everything can fit on a single Prometheus server. There is, you know, some more interesting parts to it where if you're kind of in a more ephemeral world like the cloud, you know, and that instance tends to disappear or could be restarted and maybe the disk is not accessible, it, it basically means that you have to think a little bit more about like how to back up the state or how to save it and you know, I, I think with, with Prometheus, it's it's really about the simplicity model and they're not trying to solve, if you really care about data durability and the kind of different retentions and like any downsampling you might want to do it, they're not trying to solve those problems. So I think it's it's really great at the beginning, gets you started quickly, can scale, you know, quite well for, for many organizations because, you know, it can do like 400,000 samples per second on a single machine, which... You know for a lot of cases is probably enough, although that that's talking about a pretty expensive server to, to achieve those numbers but it's it's really great to get started with so when you uh, think about how Prometheus runs when you've got so many servers uh, that and and applications and pieces of infrastructure that you're monitoring that a single Prometheus server can't really solve the problem for you and you have to start adding more and basically dissecting the data that's where it definitely gets a lot more complex you know you can start to take like human ways of sharding it which is like i have this application stuck to this prometheus server i have this other application stuck to another prometheus server but you know i think that again that could work at the in the initial bicep like in the initial days when you need a little bit more scale, but it starts to fall apart pretty quickly because then in Grafana, you have to have some knowledge of this mapping or build some complex systems to to do this mapping for you. And not just that, you, you find that if there's any application that ever overwhelms a single Prometheus server, then you're kind of out of luck and you need to really think a little bit harder. And that's where most metric systems that that want to allow you to grow to a, a reasonable size of more than one or two servers will actually start to shard the underlying data, you know, using, like, a hash function so that it's, like, well-distributed in a very even manner.
0: When you get this, like, sprawl of different instances of Prometheus that are maybe arranged differently, like, maybe you have a... I, I'm just speculating here, but maybe you have a team and everybody in the team uses the same Prometheus instance and it's just gathering a bunch of metrics and then the entire team, the Sum2Pizza team within Uber has a collection of dashboards and anybody in the company can log into those dashboards and look at them but then maybe you have some other team where every single service within that team has its own prometheus instance and then each of those prometheus instances has a collection of dashboards so there may be like uneven kind of file structures or addressing structures for the different dashboards. Am am I, is that, is that realistic? Does that happen? Yeah, definitely. So
1: you you could imagine, you know, we've got 4,000 microservices at Uber. Even if you say you group uh, like 10 together, that's still, you know, 400 data sources in Grafana in a big dropdown. And you've kind of got to like work out where yours is going to be. And also if you know you kind of have an outage of like one of one of the single instances of those Prometheus servers, you need to know which one is the backup and when to look at the backup versus looking at the non-backup. So you start it starts to get unwieldy pretty quickly. There's also some things at Uber we do like install automatic alerts and kind of discover which metrics you're using so we can like work out whether you need to have like a MySQL slow query alert or, you know, a Cassandra alert with respect to like how well replication is keeping up and stuff like that for, for cross data center replication. And that really, that model breaks down if you have to do a for loop of, you know, over 400 Prometheus servers and look in every single one to see if, if a team or a service may have some metrics. So it starts to become really important to have a central place That really has all the data together so you can operate this operate on it in a a much smarter way
0: and the matter of of data management seems pretty core to what you ended up doing to scaling prometheus so prometheus has its own time series data format and again this is in the traditional prometheus way is just written to the same server that is is doing all the other work Tell me about, well, actually, we should start with with where Prometheus fell over, I guess, as, as because Prometheus is only like, I don't know, three, three or four years old, something like that, maybe two years old. And I assume that there was some period of time where Uber started using Prometheus or it was like a lumpy adoption throughout the company. And then people started adopting it more and more and then people were starting to have issues with it. Maybe you can get into the issues about like where Prometheus really started to fall over within Uber and when people at Uber started putting together a team to say, "Okay, we got to rebuild our whole metrics platform.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that it was, you know, multifaceted again, kind of challenge. Like we had a lot of people using Statsy and Graphite still when we started building, you know, M3DB and M3. And we also had, yeah, some teams using Prometheus and they were like, honestly, everything works pretty well on a small scale. And then, you know, the, the teams that were basically running these Prometheus instances in like, honestly, just didn't want to basically pay the headcount in terms of SREs to continue to manage the complex configuration like they had you know like once i got to about six or eight prometheus servers the amount of git config the amount of puppet the amount of basic like really complex configuration files of like grafana and and kind of the templating of your dashboards and and like where one dashboard mapped to which like refiner data source because the dashboards were built by source control was was starting to get really out of hand and it was you know at that point you've you've got to make a decision on whether do you double down on basically doing this mapping using source control and sres and and really being very process driven and strict about you know how you run the installation or do you kind of lean more on a centralized platform that while itself is complex under the hood at least looks simple to to operators and that i think is where you know it it started to become like a a really good idea just to begin to actually build technology rather than you know process and and configuration management solutions to solve the problem
0: Mm m3 is this metrics platform that you've worked on at uber explain what m three is yeah, so in a nutshell m three is a scalable
1: metrics platform it's you know it tries to offer uh, s- basically the similar kind of data model that that Prometheus does, and soon we're adding graphite support in open source and we actually internally have that at uber it's It's just part of uh, not part of the open source code base so yeah it, it really you know at its heart is trying to basically make it simple to have extremely high cardinality metrics data for for engineers to be able to both leverage and also, you know, kind of interact with for alerting purposes and for like building auto-scaling rules and auto-balancing rules. For instance, at like when you use a cloud vendor, you can set up all these rules that like trigger other things that scale up, scale down things. You know, similarly at Uber, we we kind of do similar things where we We'll shift like the mapping of some workload between clusters based on, on stats. We also use it for like monitoring SLAs between services. We use it for basically looking like at the data center level of like, how's our data center actually performing at the network switch level and, and like how warm is some of the you know, pieces of hardware. And, and we, we do a whole lot of like, we basically use it for pretty much anything that we want to measure over time.
0: What problems does M3 solve for service owners at Uber? Yeah, M3 for service owners is is really about
1: a working out what your what you depend on and how those things are performing. So if you use Cassandra or Redis or any other piece of storage technology or, you know, cache layer, you can and you also want to kind of understand like how in your application is actually performing in terms of its CPU usage, in terms of RAM, in terms of network in and network out. You can get all that data, so you, you get a really good idea of basically how you affect others and how your how much resource you're consuming, and if you're using like some of these dependencies like storage, basically what kind of performance are you seeing from those, and that can help you drill down. Basically, and, and work out like when your application is performing poorly. And then there's the other side of it, which is I think actually where it gets more interesting and, and in the past hasn't been basically used as widely is where you actually start to instrument your code paths very delicately to work out in a business terms what your application is doing. So you can use you know gauges and counters and also latency measurements to work out Basically, how your code paths are performing, and you can even do things like working out, okay, how many, for instance, t- trips are beginning or ending from, you know, an airport or in a geo hexagon. Like, what is the surge over time, and how can we basically and how to basically work out whether that's performing well or not. So, you know, it's it's kind of at the application level, it's starting to become. I think with Prometheus and M3 and other things that allow for high cardinality data, developers and engineers are really starting to get very meticulous and specific data back from how their application is performing.
0: So this is not about just, I need to know if my service is up or not, or I need to know if I need to scale up my MySQL cluster because it's getting hammered by requests. This is like translating data of various parts of the stack into business value by having better dashboards, better visualizations that can be used by people throughout the organization. So there's there's a, a really wide range of value that you can get out of improving the monitoring platform, which includes the data storage layer. So let's talk about the data storage later, because you you rebuilt, you built a new storage backend when you built M3. So this is M3DB. Explain what were the constraints on the previous data infrastructure that was underlying monitoring at Uber, and why did you need to build a new storage backend?
1: Yeah, so, you know, once we solved the original challenges of being able to basically add capacity uh, in a way that you know didn't lose data and was up all the time and we, we could kind of, was highly durable, which we actually used Cassandra for originally. That was, you know, a, a great milestone. And it it really you was horizontally scalable. And I'm putting air quotes around that. Because while that is a hundred percent true, it isn't does isn't always cost effective to horizontally scale if your scale is at at a, a rate of scale where the cost is just too too difficult to maintain so to receive the benefit from it so basically you know what i'm talking about here is that you start to reach a point where just adding more on this fixed linear scale starts to reach some very high numbers for instance we were buying you know millions of dollars of hardware for cassandra when we knew we needed to buy much much less if it was if we were going to be able to keep the costs of monitoring at uber to you know a few percent of the the entire hardware cost uh, and we you know now have a much better cost curve thanks to M3 and it kind of lets us add you know really high cardinality data so we have like 9 billion metric IDs and we still say say pretty very lean and and kind of like offer like a, a very good cost structure for the, the business so that even though we have all this data, it's just extremely highly compressed. So with M3TSA compression, we get about 7.6% sorry, 7.6 times the order of compression with just storing if we were to store like the data in just two in 64s for the timestamp and the value. And that's on our our data we've actually seen you know compression ratios of up to 11 x and, and larger on on different data sets. And this that really you know an, enables us to store th- that much data in a way that's not going to impact the business and basically you know cause us to use like five or 10 percent of the entire compute capacity and hardware just to to serve monitoring data. So I, th- I think that was you know a really big differentiator differential. And like you look at Prometheus, Prometheus does the same thing actually. And that's why it is great for small shops because it, it, even with a single server, you can get quite a bit of runway because it has such high compression and because the index isn't doesn't take in a ridiculous amount of size. So, you know, it's really from continuing to develop the efficiency on the, the storage side and the compression and also how the indexes is, is kept that we can provide this outsized benefit for a relatively small amount of hardware
0: to come back to the thing we discussed earlier with like who needs platform engineering and why do they need it isn't the problem of time series database worked on by a bunch of people who are like their existence is tied to them making a good time series database like there's influx db there's time scale db there's a bunch of different time series databases. Why did you need to build
1: one yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I think there is a bunch of them out there. They're not always as scalable as you may think, I I think is, well, especially in terms of the scale that that Uber needs to run at. So, you know, I, I think that we just found when we tested these solutions that, and the other thing is while some of them do scale, the cost structure again is... Is just not at a at a place that would put us less than ten percent of overall hardware usage. Which you know, when you're talking about monitoring, it's, it's you really want to keep it to one to two percent of your overall spend. Maybe three or four if you're pretty hungry for metrics, because otherwise it's it's just an extremely high overhead. It's really a mixture of both the scalability of it and cost structure of like how expensive it uh, is it for for each node. And we found that. Yeah, just none of the existing databases out there, at least in terms of you know storing billions of metrics, was was really going to keep our cost structure in a way that allowed us to store as much data as we're storing today without consuming really high like numbers of our overall hardware spend to keep that data and operate on that data. So that's really what it's about. I, I think you know e- even our previous solution with Cassandra was fine for us to horizontally scale out. But just the numbers and the cost of which it would have been to the business meant that we would have had to clamp down on developers way harder. And, you know, when you're talking about basically R&D and how fast you can iterate on your R&D, I think it's really important to be able to, to kind of just foster this idea that you can just monitor and measure anything. Uh, otherwise, it, yeah, just you need to be much more careful and and the onus is kind of on you on on how to even begin to work out how to measure this and do things in a safe way.
0: Did you say that 1 to 2% of an organization's entire spend is in like the entire spend of Uber should be devoted to monitoring?
1: So I'm saying that, you know, in some some companies that that is definitely what what could be yeah, the kind of spend that you could plan for. Because when you're thinking about like hardware itself and the applications that run, you can't do it in a reliable way at a huge amount of scale unless you're dedicating you know, some percent of your overall hardware to actually reliably ensure that things don't go wrong without you knowing about it.
0: Okay, very interesting. Let's get through a little bit more of the architecture of what you've built at M3. So you have the M3 coordinator, so this is a sidecar to Prometheus instances. So I'm guessing you deploy your Prometheus instances to Kubernetes or something like a Kubernetes, and you have a container model where you have sidecars, and the sidecar container of the M3 coordinator can perform things that are sort of additive to Prometheus because M3 is is expansive to Prometheus. And so the M3 coordinator serves as this global query and storage interface. So you have the sidecar pattern, and then you probably have some kind of orchestration that you can do between those different sidecars of the, the different M3 coordinators that are running alongside those different Prometheus instances— can you talk a little bit more about the role the M3 coordinator plays and how that relates to the M3 database?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, the coordinator is a a really easy way to use M3 with Prometheus, and the reason that like that's pretty that it plays such an important role is that it not only basically ships your metrics to N3DB from Prometheus, but it also downsamples them if you're keeping metrics at different granularity and retentions. So for instance, you know, I I might keep say all of my Prometheus data for 30 days without any downsampling at all. So if you're collecting data at, you know, 15 seconds or a minute, you might just say in Prometheus itself, you might just basically ship that to N3DB without downsampling that at all and and keep that for 30 days. But you you know when you start to talk about much longer resolutions, for instance, like you're talking about keeping data for three months, six months, a year, that's when you really can't afford to to keep it at the granularity of 10 seconds or 60 seconds most of the time because when you go and query for that data, it's just going to take such a long time to actually get all the data points together, sum them up together or sample them in a way that you're going to be able to visualize that. Otherwise you're sending back just, you know, hundreds of megabytes of data to the browser, which is not really going to work at all. So the coordinator plays the important role of essentially downsampling that data in real time. So other Prometheus, you know, long-term stores like Thanos, they do something a little bit differently where They'll basically take the Prometheus data that is basically hasn't been, you know, downsampled at all. Put that in the cloud, and then they have this offline process to go and take that raw data, downsample it into say a five minute tile, a ten minute tile, and then write it back to the cloud. You know, we we just found at scale that that model of basically writing it raw and then basically having an offline process to compact pull the data back down and then push it back up just in terms of like network bandwidth, RPC, serialization, deserialization, and, and the, the whole process and monitoring that process and making sure that process is working reliably was was just too difficult and costly for us. So that's why we always downsample this data on the way into the database and why it's required to have one coordinator per prometheus server or you know you could go the other route and have one coordinator for many prometheus servers but because it's doing downsampling, there needs to be just one of them and we have a solution for if you you know outgrow like a single coordinator instance you can run a clustered aggregation server that we also have in open source now but it's you know a lot easier to get started just using the coordinator
0: okay i want to Describe the uh, the conversation we've been having in 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 summary, and then we can zoom out a little bit and and just close off. Tell me if this reflects Uber correctly. So so you you got to the point where you wanted to use Prometheus, Prometheus because it is a single server and its strategy of just scraping a bunch of metrics from different services, aggregating those metrics, writing them to the same single server that is a not a scalable enough solution for uber so you had a couple different scalability complements that you added to prometheus one of which was an entire database time series database that makes querying and the storage of data in a way that can be queried via promql the prometheus query language It stores it more efficiently so that Uber can save some money. And you've also got this sidecar model. So you have these different, you have lots of Prometheus instances. These Prometheus instances are scraping these metrics. And the sidecar model for each of these Prometheus instances, which is the M3 coordinator, this M3 coordinator sidecar. Just things that are very useful to each of these running Prometheus instances, like as the Prometheus instances are scraping the data and gathering the data at a certain frequency, you can have something on the sidecar that is, for example, downsampling that says, okay, Prometheus, I know that you scraped the data every, you know, 1000 milliseconds, but we're going to downsample that and just you know, take it from every 1000 milliseconds to every 5000 milliseconds. And then we'll store that because we don't want to store all of that data that you're scraping. And then there's some other features that you get out of having a sidecar. But this is the overall picture of where you have taken M3 to get a scalable version of Prometheus. Is Is there anything else that you'd like to kind of add around what value M3 is providing to Uber before we kind of zoom out and close off? The value that
1: M3 really brings to Uber is safety alongside speed of development. You know, with M3 and ability to to really store high cardinality data, we're able to, you know, measure things much, much more than we were previously able to at an unprecedented rate. And we're able to develop a lot of platforms on top of it, for instance, like we have auto rollback mechanisms. So you know, we can kind of like install these standard alerts and procedures that basically when you deploy a service at Uber and it's not functioning the way that it usually does during a deployment, we can automatically roll it back. And, you know, that that really, it's kind of like this notion of like Facebook first said, like, move fast, break things. We're wanting to get to a point where we move fast, but don't break things and automatically can avoid breakages in a way that still allows us to to write and develop code you mm-hmm. know, and, and kind of ship features in, in a fast way. So, you know, I, I think it's it's really like safety, reliability, a, a platform to be able to actually do things like anomaly detection on at scale, which, you know, again, having a centralized store is just really important. Otherwise the discovery of all this stuff becomes so much harder and and how you which parts of which System data is living in which data store. It just becomes really difficult to build platforms on top of that kind of model.
0: Cool. Okay. Well, there's a lot of other stuff we could have discussed, but I know we're out of time. A recent show that we did was on Cortex, which is another way of scaling Prometheus. That's a little bit less fully fledged. Like they're not, you know, rewriting a database layer. And I've seen other approaches to scaling Prometheus. Tell me about any open source adoption you've seen of M3 or sort of where you think the project is going to go? Do you think this is domain specific to Uber or are other companies adopting it and will they want to adopt it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, you know, when you talk about,
1: yeah, other kind of like horizontally scalable, you know, metrics platforms like Cortex and stuff like that, you know, what's really important is the cost model. How much is this costing you, you to store this much data? And, you know, Netflix first developed Atlas, which was like a scalable metrics platform for them. And the the joke that kind of gets passed around is like, you know, Netflix is not a TV and, and film streaming platform. It's a monitoring platform because like, that's how much the cost of monitoring at the scale that they needed to do it was costing them at the time with with Atlas. And, you know, I think that like, They've obviously made improvements to Atlas. And similarly, Facebook have something called Berengai, which was uh, based on the Gorilla paper. But all that data is basically in memory in, in those systems, which which means you just can't pack those servers nearly as densely as you can with systems such as M3. So, yeah, it's definitely not domain-specific. should be able to be used at a whole bunch of different companies. We are seeing, you know, Definitely some companies at scale that are beginning to use M3, which I'm very excited about. I can't really mention them without any, you know, kind of legal sign off from their side. But i really excited about hopefully, you know, other companies won't have to build their own solutions like this again with M3 being out there. You know, we're very modest and we would have never like, we we would like to be very modest because, you know, we would have never gotten here Without any of the the community around Prometheus, without any of the support and attention that, you know, open source and monitoring is bringing to the table to, over the last few years. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, if, if we could do anything to help other companies not have to build their own solutions or be able to contribute to, like, you know, a, a single platform so we're not constantly reinventing the wheel and in a way that's like not going to break your budget, I, I would love, you know, for, for people to to be able to help and us all leverage one thing.
0: Rob Skillington, thank you for coming on Software Engineering Daily.
1: It's been great talking. Thanks, Jeffrey. It's been a fantastic experience. I really appreciate it. Wow.